I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1961. The album, Joe Ray Me, the artist, Phil Silvers and others, but mostly Phil Silvers. And my guest this week, Steve Everett. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Jason. It's a total pleasure. Thank you very much. Same here. Now, this is one of those, uh, you know, we know each other, but we only know each other from me being a fan of Phil Silvers, you being a fan of Phil Silvers, you having started the, the original Phil Silvers fan club, and me joining 21 years ago. I was going to say, yeah, 21 years since we've actually spoken sort of face-to-face on on the internet, isn't it, really? It's crazy, and I, I'm sure I emailed you and bugged you a few times during that period, because I, I know at one one time, I would still love to do it, one, one time I was trying to make a Phil Silvers documentary, that was going to be the thing that was going to make me even though, why, why, why would I do that in a country where no one remembers him, unfortunately? Well, yeah, we, we, we've, we've been contacted by somebody from Ireland that, uh, that may be interested in doing Oh, that'd be good. So, that'd be yeah. wonderful. That'd be, uh, so tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, uh, and then we'll get into why you're such a big fan of Phil. Okay, yeah, my name is Steve Everett. I'm uh, a huge uh, Phil Silvis fan, as Jason has alluded to. Um, I've run... Phil's Appreciation Society now for 35 plus years. Wow. We've run his museum for the last five years, and we have quite a close uh, family relationship with 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 his daughters. So yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Now, as I mentioned, also Phil Silver's weirdly has a well, maybe not weirdly, just unexpectedly to me has a bigger fan base in the UK than here. And I don't know. Do you think it's because they have continued to run? The Phil Silver show on occasion well, on television or what? I think that's the prime consideration. The Bilko started on the BBC in 1957, mm-hmm. and then it was repeated on and off until 2004. So we had a we had 47 years with the Sarge, and uh, we we just never grew tired of watching it. Um, Phil did allude um, with the American screenings after the initial broadcast when the reruns started. By the mid, uh, by the late sixties, the Vietnam War had started, and he thought that military comedies have, had fallen out of fashion with uh, the Americans, and they sort of never really, you know, picked it up after that. Um, I guess there's probably some truth to that, but mm-hmm. um, I don't understand why America doesn't hold Phil in the same esteem as um, Lucille Ball or, or Jackie Gleason or Sid right. Caesar or Ernie Kovacs, you know. Yeah. He's not up there with them in America, but here in the in the UK, we've always and will continue to to love him and his work. He's uh, he's one special guy to us, as you probably know. Yeah, well, it's it's crazy to me, if only because you know I think I have heard, you know, I I deal with uh, other people who other uh, who do similar work to you, and also who are archivists for specifically. I you know I know Ernie Kovacs archivist because he is Edie Adams' uh, son. So, right, yeah. you know, so there's a little mad, mad, mad world connect- connection. He, you know, he often talks about, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, he and I often talk about uh, how uh, it takes a little bit of, of nudging to get people to talk about like Ernie Kovacs or whatever. But I've also heard the same thing about like there are very big stars who are Phil Silvers fans, but they there's no outlet for them to be like, yeah, I would love to talk about Phil Silvers, which is, you know, a good reason for that documentary to exist or anything to exist yes. that explores yeah. Phil's life. Because, you know, these people, nobody's asking them about Phil Silvers because nobody's thinking about him over here. Um, wh- when's uh, the first time you saw him? Uh, saw Bilko as a kid? Well, 
it would have been um, we used to have Bill Cohen late night um, okay. on a Sunday night. It used to be the last program on BBC One before close down. Mm. And I was living at home with my parents and they'd all gone to bed and I was just channel hopping. There was there was something, I think there might have been an Outer Limits or something on BBC Two. And I, I flipped over to BBC One and I can remember the first episode. It was called The Empty Store. So it's one of the first shows to be filmed. Mm-hmm. And I sort of tuned in about halfway through this episode and I just sat there like this is really good and I'm like but it's it's black and white it's old <laughs> but it's it's very fast it's very frenetic it's you know very sophisticated comedy mm-hmm. so the next day you know I was quizzing my father on you know what's Phil Silver's doing because this time he was living quietly in semi-retirement forced mm-hmm. semi-retirement and that's how really the it, it started and then um I decided I wanted to set up an appreciation society and everybody thought I was crazy. You know, <laughs> well, Bilko, it's just Bilko. Nobody, nobody will want to join a club. And, and we launched the club with the help of my co-founder, Mick Clues, in, in 1984. Uh, we'd, at this point, been writing to Phil because we'd made contact with Phil through his eldest daughter, Tracy. Okay. And we used to send him Christmas cards and, and, and birthday cards. And basically, just he, he loved, uh, he'd got these two boys from the UK who had adopted him and uh, and he was very thrilled that you know his his fan base in in the UK was still very much active mm-hmm. um, and he gave his blessing for the appreciation society in October 1985 and sadly he passed away in November oh, the month wow, later yeah. in Jeez. 1985 so That's this year sense. is um it's the 20th anniversary of Phil getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow, yeah. And we were res- responsible for that as well because mm-hmm. his family had been fighting 15 years with the Hollywood Committee to get him a, a star on the Walk of Fame. And we applied in 1999 and sort of just said, look, this is what this guy has done. You know, bar Bilko, he's had a massive, you know, illustrious, very long career in all forms of show business. Mm-hmm. Give the guy a star, and and you know happily they did, and that's when we got to to meet the family. But you know, time—it's like it's twenty years ago. So yeah. we'll have we'll have a little event at um, at the museum on November the first. Uh, Wonderful, about, that that sort of time. If we can do it, if this coronavirus thing has right. sort of died down a little bit. Yeah, boy, oh boy, that's—I uh, mean—that's remarkable. That's one of those things where if. Uh, I feel like if you're a big fan, of, uh, a big enough fan of something, uh, you want to. There's no way you can really ever pay them back, and uh, you know that. Although at the end of the day, clearly somebody like a Phil Silver was like, "Oh, holy cow! I've got this fan base. It's like that is enough. That's enough of a payback." But I love that you did. You got to do the the full like, no, no, no. We're gonna get him his star in the damn Walk of Fame, even if yeah, it's yeah. you know, it was yeah, it so was good. hard work, and you had to really sort of battle the committee because yeah. Uh, that. They were quite quite stubborn, you know. But Phil was, I think, with Phil was a very quiet, humble man as well. So mm-hmm. um, when he recorded his last interview with the BBC, um, which was for the 30th anniversary of the Bilko show, which we were invited on to, mm-hmm. um, you know, he said, "I've got two boys in England who adopted me," and uh, and the interviewer said, "Well, we have a, su- a surprise for you, Mr. Silvers. We have these boys in the studio with us," and he just paused and said, "Oh, do you?" give them a warm hug for me. So Aww. he was very appreciative that that we were, you know, we were very young at the time. And, mm-hmm. and you know, to to have this this connection with one of, you know, 
comedy's greatest talents and and to find that he was very much very much a family man and very down to earth and very quiet mm-hmm. and the polar opposite to to this character that he played on screen which which goes for a lot of comedians you know it's an outlet for them you know but in real life he was very quiet very shy and very retiring and uh, yeah and just appreciated everything we'd done for him so that's so good know, it's nice to have that relationship and it continues to this day you know tracy is is the main um person responsible for Phil's estate and uh, you know we have a very close relationship and we we guard it you know we guard his reputation on Twitter especially you know mm-hmm. there, you know there's a there's a few people out there that want to sort of you know stick the knife in so we're right we're there to protect him you know while he's you know he, he can't protect himself yeah of course yeah I you know there there are obviously we all know of the the garbage that's on Twitter but there there are I am parts of a part of a few different fandoms on Twitter where exactly that is happening or it's like you know there's there's a little bit of protecting going on and there's just a preservation of of something that you know we don't want to go away and that includes we don't. No. you know and I, I and I do this podcast that which is funny because half the time I'm doing it about not half the time but if, every once in a while I'm doing it about records that I don't necessarily care about i do like when something that opportunity comes up to actually celebrate somebody that people don't know enough about and who it's just it still boggles the mind to me if you consider his history i mean he started as a very young singer which by the way i love that you picked a musical thing because it it got me again in the mindset of right he's he was a singer first he was a singer first uh in his autobiography i got to tell you that was one of the first that got me hooked on entertainment autobiographies uh, him describing some of the, <laughs> the stuff that he witnessed as a very young man in these mob run nightclubs. I was like, oh my God, I had to, I, that just opened my mind up to this insane world of what entertainment could I, be. I think he, I think he was about eight, uh, a stag uh, coming out of jail party and uh, mm-hmm. he was performing on stage and he, he saw a, a man get shot dead in front of him. You know, eight years old, what's, you know, how do you cope with that? But, right. Uh, Oh yeah. my God! I'd forgotten it was that young. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. about eight, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's worth reading, by the way, if anybody's out there and you're you'll want to know something about Phil Silvers, give that a read. Um, it's it, it's a great book. Why? Uh, so of so there are not a lot of records with Phil on them necessarily. There's this. You got Top Banana. You've got you've got Bilko Marches, which really is just uh, him on the cover, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's it just, is. Yeah, it's military you know, big, big band music. And is there another Bilko Marches type there, album? There's, like there's two. They did about uh, they did an EP and they did three albums with the okay uh, the brass percussions and uh, music on it. But Phil may uh, not. I, I, you probably know this. You probably I don't know if you. Do I may or, or may not. not. I'm not sure. But but another rec- he did actually make a record in 1984. Um, I did not know this. Please, Tracy's husband, Iron Iron Costa, mm-hmm. um, he was a musician at the time, and he and he and Phil was going through a little bit of a depression, so he basically coaxed him into the recording studio, and mm-hmm. they recorded a disco record called the Bilko Growl. Holy shit! And it's basically Iron on Iron on vocals on main vocal, and Phil doing all of his Bilko barks and his Bilko commands. So. Um, it's readily available on the DVD box set, the US DVD box set. Uh-huh. But I'm more than more than happy to send you a file over with it. It's it's. Oh bear in mind, it's 1984, and yeah. the music has dated 
very well. I wouldn't say badly, but it, it's you can tell it was recorded in in the mid the mid nineteen eighties. But oh but God. it's got Phil on it. I mean, and he's yeah, he's a darling on it, and he enjoyed it. It was a bit of fun, really, just to to get him out of his uh, his condominium um, in in nineteen ninety four. So yeah, the Bilko Grail was a single which. We tried to get released over here as a single at the uh-huh. time, uh, and Steve Wright was a, a major DJ on the BBC, and he mm-hmm. was plugging it, but it, it never never saw the light of day. But uh, it's still there for people to listen to. So Why it never it got on YouTube as well. Did it get? It never got pressed in any way. No. Oh, no. What's so but it funny? Could, is... It could do well with a remix. We could do a remix. Oh my goodness. <laughs> contemporary now so good that would be so good you know it's uh when you're digging uh for i mean the thing is i'm sure you've done all the digging necessary Uh, you you've even helped find missing episodes of bilko right am i not mistaken we've we've uh, we've got every episode except the last 30 minutes of this the bilko special keeping step Uh which co-starred saul chaplin and diana doors Mm-hmm. We have the first half hour, which I don't believe CBS have got in their vaults. Wow. Um, we've got it on 16 mil film, but we're still searching. I mean, this we had we got hold of this probably 15, 20 years ago, a mm-hmm. long time ago. Um, so we're still looking for the final half hour. We're, we're, we're also trying to get a good contact at CBS so that we can talk to them about, because um, obviously... Um, Jackie Gleason, I Love Lucy, they've all had major Blu-ray releases in the States. Yeah, yeah. But Bilko hasn't, you know. So yeah. our oh, question God. to see if we can get through to CBS is, CBS, where are the 35 more masters? And then we can probably talk about buying the rights to do a proper would be box set Blu-ray release, you know, which is, yeah, with a, with a slew of extras on, it would just sell like hotcakes. Well, it's right. hot cakes in the uk i'm not sure about the states i know but. good god it's one of those things where i feel like positioned properly we could uh, we could make a revival happen in the u.s it just would take a lot of work and it would take you know those one or two huge 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 celebrities who are massive fans of his to just also not just it should be pointed out to people who aren't aware of this yes there are celebrities who are massive fans there are some of the biggest stars in american comedy were created because of the Bilko show, which, you know, is just as much because of Nat Hyken as it is of Phil, because of Phil yeah, Silvers. That's but, true, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking George Kennedy. We're talking Dick Van Dyke, uh, Fred Gwynn, uh, Dick Cavett, Alan Alda. How many other people got their start on this show? Like, Well, I mean, you, we can go right up to date because mm-hmm. um, although the American viewing public really have forgotten Phil Silvers and the Bilko show, the people that are working in show business now haven't. So you've got mm-hmm. the, the you've got people like Mark Hamill, who's mm-hmm. following me on Twitter. Yes. He's a massive fan. Um, you've got, uh, I need to, I'd like to get in touch with him, but um, I presume you've watched Breaking Bad. I, I've seen a, only a couple episodes, weirdly. Couple but... of, um, well, the spin-off series, or the prequel series, Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. who's, uh, it's all about Saul Goodman, the Jewish lawyer. Well, Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul, mm-hmm. um, he's put a lot of Phil Silver's Bilko character into his Saul Goodman character. Okay. So sort of second season onwards, I think they're up to five seasons with Better Call Saul. It's like a modern-day Bilko. I love he it. He's so, so, so similar. And uh, and they've got another actor in the show, and Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, 
they're huge fans of Phil Silver. That's so good to know. You've got these people that are working in television and working in the entertainment industry in the States that are huge fans, but it doesn't seem to go any further than that. And that's what right. we need to try and do. We need to try and, you know, get it out there and, uh, yeah, get get the Americans watching Bilko again. That's... You know, it's one of those things where I have been trying, by the way, I keep looking at the DVDs because my, um, <clears throat> I had the DVDs and then uh, didn't check to realize a couple of the discs were ruined. So I uh, got a very nice uh, birthday present. My wife rebought the entire, uh, the entire series for me, which is delightful. Uh, but first of all, I did not know that they were all on film. I guess it hadn't occurred to me. It's insane that they all exist, first of all. The four years of a show that started in 1955 that 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 those still exist um and for those who are not aware it's also about a billion episodes per season i love that <laughs> it is the exact opposite of an english show in that way too they did about what how many episodes per season there, You're was, know. there was i think it was about 32 episodes in the first season Crazy. so i mean 143 in total 144 in total over oh. four years uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah a, a monumental task each week for Phil Silvers alone to yeah. to learn his lines. You know, um, mm -hmm. yeah. do you have you come across or been provided with any like original scripts from the show? Because I know you've met a lot of the actors who are on it. Yeah, in the museum we've got uh, two scripts kind, kindly donated by Mickey Freeman, who played oh. Private Zimmerman. So mm -hmm. yeah, we've got two of his original scripts. Um, as you probably know, we've got uh, five of the original animation cells from the opening credits so of the good. show. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got 16 pages of storyboard artwork. I haven't quite got enough room to display everything sure. at the moment. Um, but yes, and we've we made contact with the last surviving actor of the platoon. Because mm -hmm. what a lot of people don't realize that in 1955, when they cast the show, they actually cast five black actors. Yeah, in yeah. quite pivotal roles, you know. Um, and obviously, CBS, the network, they they weren't particularly happy with this. Uh, of course, this, uh, yeah. Um, and the certain southern stations were refusing to show the show. Oh. But Nat Hyken and Phil Silver said, "No, uh, you know, uh, comedy is so crazy that it has to be rooted in reality." And these guys are part of the army, and they're part of our show, and they're not going anywhere, so they're staying. And Love you it. know, it's really the first show to feature a multiracial cast. It was the first show, really, that had because you'd got I Love Lucy and, and Jackie Gleason. It was the first show with an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. So you'd got, you know, it, it paved the way for, like, you know, shows like Hill Street Blues and, and Taxi, which happened sure. to be Phil's favorite comedy show of the 70s. That's interesting. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. So uh, so what is the name of the, the last surviving actor of the show? I can't remember. That's uh, a guy called Terry Carter, and he played okay. one of the black actors. He played um, Shuggy Sugarman. Uh, throughout oh, the whole yeah. series, uh, he went on to play um, Colonel Ty in Battlestar Galactica in the seventies wow. series, and he also played um, Dennis Weaver's sidekick in McLeod. Oh wow! So wow. he had quite, okay. quite a, he's, 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 We met him a couple of years ago. We we met him in Reading at a, a comic con. He was doing a Battlestar Galactica reunion, but he emailed sure. us and said, "Look, guys, we've spoken." Over, over so many years we've never met i'd love to meet you guys and of course he loved talking about bill silvers so, so we good. spent about an hour with him and his and his lovely wife and uh yeah he's very got amazing recall because he's nearly nearly i don't think you mind me saying he's nearly 90 now mm -hmm. he 
looks amazing for his age and uh, amazing recall and obviously fond memories of working with, uh, you know, with his first major role on television. He yeah. was working alongside Phil Silvers in the gang. So, you know, wow. he said life didn't really get any better than that. That's so good. Oh, I love that. That is remarkable to hear. Um, and I love that, again, also that, you know, they, they know who to talk to. They know who, they, they, no, Steve, Steve, Steve's the guy to get a hold of. Um, there's about a million things because the thing is, you know, I, 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 there, there, we could probably talk in code about Phil Silvers on accident. So I'm trying to like find a way to relate it to people who don't know more about Phil. Um, well, let's, let's, let's hop to this. So this is probably his, Do Re Mi is his first big production after, after Bilko ends then Bilko, because yes. he goes right back to the stage, which was his home. Um, I'm betting you know way more about the history about Do, Do Re Mi. So maybe you want to give me a, a bit of a, what yeah, you know about it? Phil finished Bilko. Um, it was a bit of a shock to him. So um, he basically launched into four Phil Silver specials with Nat Hyken for CBS mm. and then was offered um, the role of Hubie Cram in, in Do Re Mi, which, which, uh, which started in 1960. Mm -hmm. um, didn't have a terrifically long run, but it was a very successful stage show. So it wasn't as successful as top banana which was 1951 mm -hmm. but as you alluded to phil his first he loved the bill co show and he loved television even though jack benny warned him away from it uh, years <laughs> before um but um yeah he loved broadway and uh, yeah he loved all of these shows am i remembering correctly that the phil silver show is the first show to dethrone um uh milton burl's show if, yes. if I remember correctly, because it was yeah. Milton Berle it was did, the it height. Didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It was sure. um, about eight or nine shows, and the, and the ratings came in, and it was something like 26 for Berle and sort of eight for Silvers, and it went on like that for weeks. And then Phil reckoned that the children always had the first refusal on what they were going to watch on TV. Mm -hmm. And the, he says the children found the show. And although it was an adult show, the children could kids could relate to it as well mm -hmm. and uh, he'd refused to take any phone calls regarding the ratings because he got quite depressed over the you know he said i'm not going to top top of milton bird he is king of television and then one day they'd been trying to get in touch with him and he was called into he walked into the offices at cbs and he said i could feel this invisible electricity from all the people working in the offices <laughs> tried to get in touch with him and he said phil look at this and he looked at the ratings and it went it went 26 for him and eight for milton and that was it he was off the air so yeah, yeah the mighty bilko were uh, won out in the end i don't understand then how it only lasted four years although i guess in our in my head there's also the idea that lucy was on for years no lucy just has never not been in repeats since the show ended you sort of forget that yeah they did their run and then you know hopefully repeats kept them well, alive I, I think the writers were were tiring during the fourth season although there were still some really good gems in the fourth season uh -huh. but i think um the main consideration was money and cbs wanted it to finish on a high cash it in and i think they sold it to nbc for daytime repeats oh okay vacation for two million in 1959 mm, so there wow. was a lot of money um passing hands you know over over That's the bill coach show unfortunately phil phil didn't get anything he had 50 percent of the show mm -hmm. but he sold he sold his rights to to pay off a gambling debt so son of a gun oh. yeah it's, uh, 
Yeah. Oh boy, this is yeah. Uh, yeah. That that is one of those things where if, if anybody knows Bilko, you know Bilko is a big gambler, and yes, of course he's a sneaky son of a gun. But uh, obviously, the gambling thing is the the what the big thing that was based off of. Well, that and his love of models was based off yes. of Phil Silvers. Yeah. Uh, what a fascinating dude he was, and also to know that he was as shy and retiring as you describe him, uh, even though I've spoken to a lot of people over the years, and uh-huh. I. I I think it goes for a lot of comedians. They they tend to be the polar opposite. They 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 tend to be quite withdrawn and and they go into a cocoon. Whereas mm-hmm. um, you know the the outlet for them is performing. You know Phil would get the what he termed the whammies. You know on stuff when he was doing Broadway mm. shows. Yeah, get the whammies. He get he gets so tied up in knots with nerves. Yeah, but as soon as he, you know as soon as he hit the stage. It gone. He he was you know he was he was on full power. Um, that also happened when he toured in 1974. He toured the UK with a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Mm-hmm. And somebody, a stagehand that I know that donated some stuff for the museum, said that he watched Phil in his dressing room and there was this old man huddled in a in a bathrobe waiting to go out onto the stage, mm-hmm. uh, looking really withdrawn and quite frail. Um, this was you know, like two years after he'd had his stroke, mm-hmm. and then it was curtain call, and and Phil went, just bounded out onto the stage and just yes. gave this fantastic performance, you know. And wow. uh, you know, to be able to do that, it's uh, you know, it takes a lot of stamina. My gosh, yeah, that's that's wow, wow. I I guess I didn't realize it was so soon after the stroke that he was already up. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum is not a small show. That is remarkable it was written uh, specifically for phil in uh-huh. 1962 oh, yeah yeah he turned it down he turned so it, it went down. to zero yeah but but he, he took on the revival in 72 mm-hmm. and won a, a, a tony award so uh, yeah, yeah he was and the then, first and person to get a... and... sorry yeah he was the first yeah. person to get a tony for a revival if i remember correctly too first which yes is the first yeah also first remarkable comedian. that's nuts that is so crazy um for so for do re mi um we you know uh uh phil is on he's on you know a third of the tracks or so he is still the cover he is the cover artist though like there's a great cartoon of him on the cover of the record if you get the record that i have anyway Uh, i think there might be another version of it i'm not sure but um when did you first hear do re mi do you think um i would have heard do re mi um it was one of the first vinyl um, albums that I bought when I became a fan. So okay. I probably heard Do Re Mi as early as probably late 80s, early 90s is when okay. I first heard uh, Do Re Mi. I went down to a, uh, a soundtrack, musical soundtrack shop in Soho in London mm-hmm. and bought, bought a puppy about 25, 30 quid, which was a huge amount of money in those days. Sure. Um, and played it on when I had a record player and play, obviously played it. And that's that's probably the first time I heard it. We did get some musical files of, of, of a live show as well because wow. they weren't filmed. There's nothing yeah. as far as we know in existence as regards this uh, show. The only thing we have is the, the Top Banana film from 1954, which was a direct filming of one of the performances. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Do Re Mi was, yeah, it was obviously just specifically tailored for Phil and he, and he as usual, Sean, 
Sean yeah, Donaldson. Of course. Uh, what uh, what was your you did mention uh, when we were talking about it your favorite track on the record? Definitely, my favorite track is um, uh, "All of Me," mm-hmm. um, and it's just Phil, um, but he's he's very melancholy on this track and it's fair and it really does tug at the heartstrings and it, and it really shows you a different side to Phil Silver's mm-hmm. apart, you know, aside from the frenetic character of Hubie Cram that he's playing and it, and it, and it shows his human, human side as well. So it's my favorite track because it's um, for people that don't that only know, and there's a lot of people out there only know Phil as Bilko, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then to play something like this to them, um, and, and show them that he's got this other side. You know, he was a serious actor. He could have been a serious, really good serious actor oh, as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, all of me, um, all of my life, it's called. Sorry, is uh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. is yeah, is one of my favourite tracks. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it really digs deep into your into your heartstrings. Yeah, it's been a while too since I've listened to any again any of him <clears throat> singing, and I, I'm just like, oh my god, the power behind this man's voice. She's like, again, my brain is always going to go to Bill Coe and always going to go to you know that just fast talking, blah, 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 you know, just never do I think that man can take a breath and then just belt like that. But it's like, holy cow, that that is coming out of that man. It's his famous, his famous scene in. Um... Uh, and I'm trying to remember the Bill Co episodes. It's the famous one where he he meets his psychiatrist. Oh yeah, and okay. He does a, he does like seven minutes nonstop talking, and the doc the doctor is played by an actor called Nelson Olmsted, and you can see him biting his bottom lip trying not to <laughs> laugh because they cannot afford to reshoot this scene, and they just let the camera run run. And of course, it was filmed before a live audience as well. And when mm-hmm. Phil finally stops talking, even my mom, my late mom said, she, she said, oh my God, is he ever going to stop talking? Because he's like, he, he's just getting faster and faster. And then he stops and there's this huge round of applause from, mm-hmm. from the audience. And uh, and Phil is physically out of breath, you know. Nelson mm-hmm. Olmstead's still trying not to laugh. He's still trying to stifle his laughs. But, but that sort of television is just... You don't get it nowadays. Mm. It's you know we we're living in different times, but you know for a show that was I mean that episode was 1957, 58. Mm-hmm. You know it's a show that I say to people that come to the museum: if you've not watched it for a few years, look at you because you'll go back and watch it, mm-hmm. and it will still be funny. It will still be fast. You know it wouldn't have dated, and it hasn't right. dated, and that's the good thing about it. You know you, it's I don't there are certain comedians that you can watch over and over again and then there's comedians from today that you you watch you enjoy first time round and you go back to to watch them and rediscover them and they're not as good as you remember them being yeah. with Bilko with Phil Silvers you know it's like fine wine it just improves with age mm-hmm. all the time I, I which I think is one of the reasons maybe Maybe it might again, this was maybe a mistaken way to think about it, but I feel like perhaps the reason they thought they could re turn Phil uh, Bilko into a movie was actually because of him and his charm rather than even though I think the base of the show is good and I think you could you could do a Bilko today if you wanted and and make it good if you stuck to the tenets of the original show um. I remember when the movie came out, it was not long after I had joined the Phil Silver's Appreciation Society online, and I just remember there being 
not much debate. It's mostly like, eh, it was fine. We we all love Bilko, but we really miss Phil Silvers. Do you? <laughs> did you see it in theaters? Did you see Bilko? Oh, yeah, I theaters? went to see it the first night. Yeah, yeah, I went to see it in Coventry when it came out in 1996. Uh-huh. Um, people ask me about it all the time in the museum, and I say, well, watch it as a police academy in the army type film. Yeah. Well, that, that's the sort of humor it is. Uh, it's not terrible, but sure, it's not no. it's not Bilko. And interestingly, when Bilko um, became a success on CBS, I think towards the end of the first season, CBS were in talks with Phil to actually do a feature film of Bilko. Oh my God! In the fifties, you know, after yeah. you know, during the first season, towards the end of the first season. Um, but the the Steve Martin, bless him, and he's a great comedian. I love his early work. Sure, yeah. um, and I just think um, his co-star in that film, Phil, the late Phil Hartman, God bless mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. he had a better understanding of the Bilko character. Yeah. Um, whereas Martin, Steve Martin's character came over as um, a bit of a buffoon. He didn't know the rules and regulations. He didn't know. He didn't know how to book the system. Yeah. Uh, whereas Bilko's character was very crafty. You know, he knew every rule and regulation, and he knew how to to book these these systems and, and, and you know, wrap, his, wrap himself around the colonel or, or the other officers. And, mm-hmm. and that was the big difference for me. It was just, it's like every, every TV remake that they make into a feature film never really works. I mean, poor yeah. old Steve, he went and did Peter Sellers twice after the Bilko show. Oh. And it's just like, you, you Peter Sellers is irreplaceable as much as, Phil Silvers is irreplaceable. So yeah. try and do something different. We are we are talking with somebody at the moment, you know, trying to approach CBS or somebody to do a cartoon series. And now oh, wow. I know we've had we know we had Top Cat, which is obviously sure, heavily sure. based on the Bilko show, but a, a cartoon Phil Silvers show, Bilko show, could possibly work. Right. But um, you know, it's it's whether CBS would see any any. Um, uh, benefits to it you know? sure yeah no that's true i, I mean we're, we're we're in a time where that, that that could be definitely at the very least be a fun experiment but also yeah i mean uh cartoons are a little bit easier to make now um so it'd be easier to bang out some episodes maybe not 43 a year or however many it was back then but yeah my goodness that would be amazing i would love to see that uh, you know i i th- one of the reasons i love following uh your stuff online is just like how constantly you're updating us on on new stuff and uh, we're gonna get to also well i will say for my birthday again uh my wife was kind enough to get me one of the prints you did of, of the cells i didn't know you had five how did you run across these animation cells from the opening we, of the show um we we got in touch with well about six or seven years ago there was it popped up on on facebook there was um it was like a, a display in a, a local library somewhere and these animation cells were pinned up with drawing pins on a back backing board. Oh shit! And we managed. And Mick managed to contact the guy that owned the the stills, uh, the animation cells, and the storyboard artwork. And um, a guy called JJ Seidelmeyer, who obviously was he he knows a lot about uh, animation. He worked in the animation industry. Mm-hmm. And then we lost contact with him. And then, sort of, 2016, I managed to contact him again and said have you still got these animation cells? And he said, yes, they're in my log cabin. And he says, they're all safely stored away. I'm not selling them. I said, no, 
we, you know, we would, could we talk about having them on long-term loan for the museum? It's like, what museum? So we've just launched a Phil Silvers museum in the UK. And he's like, oh my God, have you? Right, okay, send me some details. So he checks us out on the internet and mm-hmm. uh, he, he contacts me back, says, I've got them. There's, there's 16 pages of storyboard artwork and there's five animation cells. Do you want to buy them? And he All says, right. because what you're doing is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I'll take my hat off to you and I will sell them to you. So long story short, we bought them. So we're, nice. they're a permanent, a permanent exhibition. And, you know, to have these, if you said to me, you know, 65 years later after the building, I've got some animation cells than the original ones. I would have yeah. said, you know, I'll have those odds on the lottery, please. Because <laughs> to find them, I don't know what they're worth. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we contacted the BBC to see if they wanted to try and value them through the Antiques Roadshow program that they do. Never mm-hmm. heard, of, never heard back from them, but uh, that's another story. But yeah, to have those, it's just uh, you know, it brings a lot of people in. You know, Phil yeah. Jupiter, who's a very famous uh, British yeah. comedian, um, he's been to the museum twice, and he's a big animation fan. Okay, so I let, let him hold one of the original animation cells, and he was just quivering with the excitement. Oh my so, god. That's the sort of, you know, these are like the holy grail of the Bilko show. Yeah. So we'd like to try and get more stuff, but it's just trying to find out what CBS have got in their vaults. So we need a good, yeah. uh, a good, a good contact in uh, in New York, really. And people weren't. I mean, there was a point, a very uh, extended point, literally decades after stuff like this was made, where people weren't. They still weren't preserving anything. I mean, there's the notorious how all of Python's library almost got almost got wiped out. A bunch of Doctor Who's were wiped out just because, you know, they just didn't BBC wasn't valuing them. And so that kind of stuff happened here, too, where nobody was preserving anything. The only place it was was in the hands of the actors who worked on the show or crew. And then once those people pass away, that stuff goes in a box, gets sold, and it's depressing. And I don't want to think about it. Um, but I, I, you do have a few other things. I think I'm assuming most of the stuff you have that was Phil's came from his family, right? Do you have a pair of his glasses? Am I we remembering correctly? We have spectacles, yeah. yes. Um, we have his Beverly Hills bathrobe. We have yes, his Dodgers blanket. It. We have his favorite smoking jacket. Okay. We have a pair of his shoes with his shoehorn. Uh, we have one of my favorite pieces is his driving license from 1982. Love it. Um, okay. We've got his uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences membership cards. So we've got a lot of very personal stuff, which have very kindly been donated um, on long-term loan by, by his family. So... Uh, we've got one of his hats from Top Banana as well. That's, That's a recent great. acquisition that, that that came via one of Phil's relatives. So uh, they they love what we're doing because obviously we talked at length about you know taking the museum over to the states, but mm-hmm. you know it's where would we relocate it and would yeah. people want to come along and, and look at it? You know, but mm-hmm. uh, you know there's some good museums in the states. Sure. You've got um, you've got the, uh, the the comedy museum you've got mm-hmm. um, the Jimmy Stewart museum you've got the Judy Garland museum so there's a lot of you know Lauren Hardy museum over there oh, yeah. so but it just seems that Phil is, isn't held in the same esteem as those that I've just mentioned but we'd love yeah. to you know we'd have loved to have gone over there and and, and tried to educate 
I hope at some point, at least now that that, because the, the comedy museum that is in a weird part of upstate New York, I know it's not weird, it's where Lucille Ball grew up, but it is a, it is an out of the way location in terms of going to a museum. That does seem to have, uh, you know, it's a quickly growing reputation. So maybe at some point, maybe. Is that the maybe Lucille Ball Museum? Yes. Yeah, yes. basically, even though That's it is. That's in Jamestown, her hometown. Yes, yes, it is. And so they, they've, they've, you know, they, they also have. I don't know about bought, but they have acquired like George Carlin's archives. They've acquired a bunch of other archives. Um, and they obviously, ha I'm assuming then have visiting, uh, you know, uh, exhibits. So I hope at some point, maybe that would be a really good place. If at some point they were like, Hey, we'd love to collaborate with you, Steve. That would be, well, that's, that's what know. I'm thinking. Cause I'm thinking that the, the Lucille Ball museum, cause I looked at it online and I, mm -hmm. I'm thinking that they must have some input, some, collaboration with CBS mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so they must be you know but they don't seem to want to you know this is why we need to get a contact and say look CBS yeah, yeah. look what we're doing to keep Phil Silver's name alive over here in the UK right yeah yeah you, well, help us, you know it's uh, yeah because we've done all this off our own back you know it's yes, all been yes. self-financed and you know um, yeah, we have overheads just like any other museum, and uh, mm -hmm. we're all going through tough times at the moment. But we're sure. we're bobbing our heads above water. So yeah, so we've expanded recently, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we're ready to welcome new visitors. And they're starting to to trickle in, but a lot of people are being a lot of the sensible people are being very cautious until we know what's going on with this this virus that we we're, yeah. all, we're all blighted with at the moment. Do you find uh, when people, you know, are coming in or were coming in maybe a little bit more previously, but, you know, just because of the pandemic, but uh, are there, is there any kind of multi-generational appreciation for Phil Silvers, like families who pass that down? Or is it people of a certain age who do have a memory of him, his repeats area? Certainly, um, we welcome visitors from all walks of life, from sure. all over the world, and really all ages, so, you know. We don't get a lot of younger people in. I normally um, talk to the youngsters um, about Top Cat because they would have watched Top Cat when they was a kid, and then you know explain to them that it was all based on on the Bilko show. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, certainly um, when we first became fans, Bilko's fan base was very male dominated. Okay, women didn't like Bilko back in the mid 80s mm -hmm. this is what the and now that's changed over the years and you've got people like um uh, actors like maureen lipman mm -hmm. um, and you've got a lot of you know a lot of little ladies that are coming into the museum that uh, that like phil silvers as a young lady in the states that is absolutely besotted with phil uh-huh yeah really reckons he's quite <laughs> handsome and, and and you know so yeah we get we do get people from all ages but it Generally, mm -hmm. it's from people of my sort of age, like mid-50s, that, mm. that grew up watching Bilko on the BBC when it was a late-night show and it would be on a Sunday night and you'd, you'd come in from the pub and it was the last show before closed down, so you'd watch Bilko before you went to bed to start your working week again. So, And then you get a lot of people that come in that have served in the armed forces Mm -hmm. So they'll say, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another reason why the Bill Coe show is still relevant. Is like, oh, I served in this platoon, and yes, we had a Bill Coe platoon. He was selling us <laughs> cigarettes and stockings and stuff. 
So, you know, it, it, it also touched on a quite a few truisms with um, with the army. I mean, the Alvin Palvin episode, apparently US enlistees trebled when that episode went out because they thought uh, you know, the army was so much fun with I mean, <laughs> Alvin Palvin, you know. And Phil, Phil felt a little bit guilty about that, he says, because obviously the army is not, is not like it is on the Bill Coe show. Right. These, right. People, these, these teenagers were queuing up to, to be recruited into the army. Oh, and, my God. Know, the power of television. Right. Back then, yeah. <laughs> That's remarkable. Uh, oh, shoot. What was I just going to ask you? Oh, my God. My brain just completely fried because I'm so... Uh, son of a gun. It's too early. It's not that early at all. Uh, <laughs> what was I going to ask you? Oh, my goodness. It was about... Oh, no. How did it just complete? How did I just completely blank on what I was going to ask you? It was obviously about Bilko, about the museum, probably. Well, we'll get back to it. Um, I'm going to make a note. It'll Jason's brain you. stopped for two seconds. Let's just make a note there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was probably going to be okay. No, we already talked about that. Um, oop, oop. No, it was about. Son of a gun, specifically about the audience. This is really driving me crazy. Um, uh, you know, I it's interesting. So I have thought about, uh, you know, because I, I, I am part of, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of things. But I, I would say the two shows that I'm biggest fans of are Bill Co. and the show News Radio, which I know doesn't have, has never had much of a presence in the UK. But um, which, what, which one was that? Uh, it star. It was Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall, Phil Hartman, the aforementioned Phil Hartman, and uh, a bunch of other you know American actors who haven't made a dent. But Phil Hartman is the is the big one. Um, although you know, I will say one of the more prominent members of our little community is in the UK. But I know he's like, yeah, nobody here knows what the hell I'm talking about when I quote that show. So it is uh, it is one of those uh, that did not cross over. But the Phil Hartman thing is always yeah. uh, fascinating yeah. to me. And I, it makes me so happy that he, who was probably my biggest acting hero, was as big a, a Phil Silvers fan as you could find. There's that, isn't there, I feel like there's a couple old promo videos from the Bilko movie where he's just doing Bilko and Colonel Hall talking to each other, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Like he's, yeah, oh. no, you're, you're right. He, he, he does a very good impersonation uh voice wise he's he's very close to phil's um and that's why i thought he would be good he would have been good for the for the movie mm -hmm. but not doing a direct impersonation of phil sure. so it was just that he could understand the character better and the mannerisms mm -hmm. um i think he you know god bless him he would have done a a, a good job um whereas steve just didn't quite cut it with with yeah. the audience uh, sadly um the other guy, I don't think he was approached to do it, but I think he could have put his own spin on the on the Bilko character, and he also retained that same energy that Phil had when he was making Bilko, and that would have been the late Robin Williams. My goodness, yeah, I mean, could have done it, something with it, but um, you know, it wasn't to be. It was, no, no, it's true. I, I, <laughs> interestingly, so you mentioned earlier. This is what I, I had entirely forgotten. You'd mentioned earlier people talking about, yeah, we had a Bilko. Uh, a few years ago, I was working, I don't know where the heck I was working, but uh, a gentleman who would come in every once in a while was an accountant, and he was older than he looked, and he, 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 he would just tell me stories about, yeah, I was in the, at no point did Bilko come up in these conversations, and you'll understand why in a second. Uh, yeah, I was uh, in the military during the Korean War, 
and blah, 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 and just talking about all this stuff and how, no, I stuffed footlockers with uh, snacks and cigarettes and things. And it slowly became clear that he was the Bilko of it. And I'm and I had to bring it up. I'm like, so you were the Sergeant Bilko of your platoon? He's like, yeah, I guess I was. And uh, <laughs> I was just so happy that not only was he the Bilko, but it was during the exact time that the show was on and uh, had gone on. The idea, though, that uh, he would the, the idea that Bilko would then go on to be an accountant was uh, an insane idea uh, that he seemed like a, a lifetime soldier. Although I also love when he would, uh, you know, he, he, had, he had a love hate thing with it, which I, I always loved uh, about the character. What do, ooh, we haven't talked about this. What is your absolute favorite episode of the Phil Silver Show? Do you have one? It's it's often not it, fair to ask someone to pick, but it's 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 a difficult one, and it changes um, it changes between three episodes. Obviously, I'm going to say uh, the court martial yeah. with, with Harry Speaker <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's it's still on record as as the as a half hour situation comedy with the most laughs. It holds wow. that record. I love um, it. it was also Phil's favorite episode. Okay. Um, but Phil's Phil also had another favorite episode, and that was The Empty Store, which happened to be the first episode that uh, I yeah. watched back in mm-hmm. 1981. So that's my favorite. But I have a particular fondness for um, Bilko's Perfect Day. Mm-hmm. It's when the gods have ordained that it's going to be Bilko's day, and no matter what he does, he'll win, and he doesn't realize until... The, the, the last hour of the day and he's trying to get a, a, a bet down on a horse race in Melbourne, Australia. And it's just, I love it because the way it, all of the the plot dovetails into this glorious ending, but it's just a, and it's a, it's a Nat Hiken episode, obviously. And it's mm-hmm. just so beautifully written, so well orchestrated. And you've got people like Paul Lipson as the bookie in it who, uh, who gets moaned down, but it's just a fantastic <laughs> episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it 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 changes depending on what season I'm, I'm delving into. But mm. Yeah, I would say, oh gosh, you know the mm-hmm. twit I was watching today in the museum because we were we were open today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you push me, I'd probably say Bilko's Perfect Day or The Empty Store. Okay, okay, good. And I have pushed you, and you have <laughs> you pushed back and won. Um, I, I also I love obviously that you're you're running episodes. Tell tell people a little bit more about the museum because we haven't really talked about what it is because it is a shop, it is a museum, it's an archive, it's all kinds of things. It, it is, yeah. We've got. Um, I started a, a small business in 2015 at a creative village that had just launched in Coventry called Fargo Village. Mm-hmm. So I launched in a little shipping container, and all I was selling was. Um, movie and TV collectibles. So we, mm-hmm. we named the shop Sergeant Bilko's Vintage Emporium. And then in uh, well, be, it's September 2015, I wanted to move into a bigger unit. But we you had to show that you're being creative. And I said, well, all I'm selling, I'm selling TV, you know, collectibles. Uh, how much more creative can one get? <laughs> but I want to do a museum. We've always talked about doing a museum and they, they love that idea. So Basically, we, we started with a very small corner of the shop being the museum. Mm-hmm. We, we, we set it out and, and did all the displays and set everything up. And then it's just grown from there. So we've been doing the museum now for, for five years, and we've, we've attracted quite a few famous visitors. The aforementioned Phil Jupiter has been to see us twice. Mm-hmm. Mark Hamill 
regularly promotes this on Twitter. Yeah, we've uh, we've had visits from. I'm just trying to think. Um, uh, British comedians Tim Vine. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Tim Vine. Um, Danny Baker, broadcaster. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, Paul Merton. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's a very famous. So, so we've have a lot of famous people visiting. So we're working on, you know, when this uh, this this COVID nineteen is over, that we can uh, invite a few more people back to the museum. Yeah, that so would be amazing, we've yeah. grown this uh, during lockdown. We we wanted to try and turn the coronavirus into a great positive because the whole village was closed down in March. Mm-hmm. So we launched a crowdfunder because we were already thinking about expanding the museum. We had a successful crowdfunder, and we expanded the museum, which now occupies half of the of the unit that I'm in. So half's got the shop, half's got the museum, um, and we have a little 1949 television set set with a nine inch screen, oh, which it. is in a show in Bilco round the clock whilst whilst we're open. Um, and we've expanded with another four display cabinets in there to house the uh, the new acquisitions we've had from the family the top banana hat and everything so yeah. it's going really well obviously we just need to get back up to speed now and you know try and get back to some form of normality sure on the retail side of things and getting a few more people back in to the museum but yeah we also um we're also working on launching um a virtual tour of the museum oh, there wow. is one of the old museum so you can sort of um, put yourself outside the front of the shop and actually walk through the shop and into the museum and, and walk, actually walk around the museum. But of course, now we've expanded to half the shop. We we, we need to do a new virtual tour. That's great. So, oh yeah, it. so it's uh, it's a labour of love. Mick mix came down during lockdown when it was safe to do so and brought some more stuff down. So yeah, it's it's. Tim Vine spent two hours in there. We just left him wow. in a smaller museum. So when he comes back, Love look, it. you know, we just left him for two hours because he sort of soaked up all of the uh, the artifacts and stuff in there because there's just so much stuff crammed into a very small area. But it's all, um, as people tell me, it's all perfectly laid out. So you can see everything. It's really, really nice. We had a lovely compliment the other day from a guy that came from Birmingham and he'd been to... The Laurel and Hardy Museum, which is in Stan Laurel's hometown in Ulverston. Okay. And he said he really enjoyed his his, his visit to the Laurel and Hardy Museum, but it was very um, it was very haphazard in its in its its displays. Okay. He, but and he said I've come here and I've just it's literally blown me away. He says because what you've done here is absolutely amazing and a great testament to to the memory of Phil Silvers. So we know we're doing something right, and we just obviously want to build on that. Mm-hmm. Saying that, I want to eventually, and I need to talk to um, the people at Fargo, is that we, we at the moment we're the Phil Silvers Museum or the Phil Silvers Archival Museum. Eventually, I'd like it to be the Phil Silvers Comedy Museum. Mm-hmm. And then we can expand our displays to include other comedians. That'd be so amazing. it becomes becomes a comedy museum mm-hmm. but, it's, it, but it's it it's mainstay is phil you know phil yeah the you know the the, the central theme of the museum but we can I have offshoots because there's so many uh, like uh, you you alluded to earlier there's so many british comedy connections mm-hmm. to not just the bilko show to but what phil did in in the rest of his career mm-hmm. uh, and he's probably 
looking back on it, he's probably the most influential American comedian on, on British comedy. Yeah. And obviously the only American to star in a carry-on film as well. Which, yeah, uh, that's the other which thing. Which divides right? a lot of people and divides a lot of carry-on fans don't tend to appreciate the sophistication of the Bill Coe show. They they like their comedy like carry-on, which is very broad mm-hmm. uh, and very basic, but mm-hmm. very good, you know. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, they don't like this loudmouth American being a carry-on film. <laughs> I do, uh, you know, one of the things about him was always, obviously, he was incredibly self-aware of how loud he was being. He knew what he was. He was, there's there's no way that man didn't know. I mean, Bill Coe's funny because he's a brash idiot. Like, he's not an idiot. He's not stupid. But he's he's an ass. He's a bit of a jerk. And then, of course, uh, you know, he's one of those jerks with a heart of gold. My favorite characters and always. About to say you know? it, yeah. You know? Because yeah, on paper, you know, the Bill Coe character, he's... If you look at him on paper, he's mm-hmm. not a particularly pleasant character. <laughs> no, but no. but you root for him, you know, because you want to, you would like to do what what Bill Coe does on the show. You'd like to have mm-hmm. the um, the nerve to be able to do that. But, right. but ultimately, you know, yes, he's this conniving gold bricker, mm-hmm. but he's got this, as you said, he's got this heart of gold, and you know, he will help his buddies, and you know, that's that what's. That's what makes him lovable, and it makes the character believable, and it, it shows that he has another side to it. And uh, that's why the show has, has, has lasted so long in the UK, I think, because we just uh, we identify with him so much, and mm-hmm. uh, more so than than any other comedy show. And you have shows like Only Fools and Horses mm-hmm. and, and Porridge um, that have drawn a lot of inspiration from the Bill Coe show by creating these slightly off kilter characters mm-hmm. but characters that you can identify with and, and and eventually you know find some fondness and love for them as well so they're not they're not totally unlikable you know there's another bit of crossover you, uh, that this is making me think of you mentioned earlier that mark hamill's a big bilko and phil silver supporter he is also uh, a huge news radio fan so he is oh, a fan okay. of both of my two favorite shows uh really? which is another reason why mark you're welcome on any of my podcasts anytime <laughs> i know you're not listening but i'm gonna say it anyway um it's it, he is one of those guys who at the very least i know that we have the exact same taste in comedy because the man he knows it and it, I think Phil Hartman's character on News Radio is another example of one of those bastards with a heart of gold uh, that I think who's worth worth exploring for those who don't know. But I mean, uh, just an absolute genius uh, and obviously had uh, very similar influences. I love that, uh, you know, Phil Silvers was such a huge influence on him. Um, Steve, uh, this has been an absolute delight. I would like you to tell people, uh, pardon me, uh, at first, actually tell them why to listen to Do Re Mi if they've never heard it before. So, sorry, say again. Uh, tell them why why to give the Do Re Mi soundtrack a listen if they've never heard it before. What's a good sales pitch? Because it will give you a completely different viewpoint on Phil Silvers if you only know him from the Bilko show. Um, it shows you what an, a versatile all-round entertainer Phil was. Um, and people don't realize, you know, he had a huge 60-year career in Hollywood in show business. And he really he performed in most of those uh, genres, uh, but the Broadway show, five smash Broadway shows, and uh, Do Re Mi is one of his, his his greatest successes after Top Banana, and you will undoubtedly be impressed with his whole performance. 
I think so too. I'm I, I'm glad you made me re-listen to because I, I I'm realizing uh, I realized this morning like I don't think I'd listened to the entire thing previously. I owned it because I wanted it and I wanted it in my hands. But today I finally had an excuse to listen to the whole thing. I'm like, oh wow, I've been missing out. What an idiot. Well, I'll, um, I'll be going back to listen to it as well now as well because I haven't listened great. to the whole album through for. For a couple of years, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Phil's tracks are still my favorite, but yes, it's in general, it's it's a good record to listen to. Uh, tell people where they can find you, where they can find the museum, um, if there's anything coming up, either online or otherwise, they should be aware of. Okay, to find me, um, obviously, all social media channels. So Facebook, we have a, a page for the shop, for the Emporium. We have a page for the museum. Um, Twitter. Um, Tumblr, um, yeah, and we are based uh, just outside of Coventry, so we're in a, a village called Fargo Village, F-A-R-D-O. Um, we're currently on reduced hours while the coronavirus is continuing, so we are open from Thursday through to Sunday, 11 till 4. But once things settle down a bit, we'll be expanding our hours from Tuesday through to Sunday. Mm -hmm. Saying that, we are also working on an online booking system for the museum. So oh. you can book a specific day and time to come and see us. Um, all my contact details are on all the social media channels. All you've got to do is ping me an email or a, a text message. And I live about 15 minutes away from the museum. So... Even if I'm closed one day and somebody's gone down there thinking that I'm open, I normally say, go grab a coffee. I'll be there in 10 minutes. So, there you go. Uh, so yeah, we're always there for people. Yeah. Uh, I will say the museum is, is one of the many reasons uh, I am looking forward to being able to travel again when and if that's possible. We'll say when. I want to be hopeful. When that is possible again, it is one of the many reasons. I just I, I really love what you're doing. Uh, not just because it's Phil Silvers, but because uh, I'm a big fan of people who are out there trying to preserve comedy. Uh, it's 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 a passion of mine. I I do it on the side, uh, and I don't do it in any any way that uh, you know. Where people, it's so funny. So uh, again, uh, the show. It's funny to talk to you about a show that you're not familiar with, but news radio. I have a lot of props from the show, um, and it's because, frankly. Not enough people appreciate it over here. People barely know it over here. Um, and so it's been easier for me to, A, interview almost everybody from the show uh, and get a hold of stuff from the show. And people are like, you know, when are you going to open your news radio museum? And I'm like, I've, I've got you in the back of my head. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not turning the, the idea down. But that is exactly what you were saying. The other option is like, if you're going to do it, make it a comedy museum that yes. is that has this, this little focus. And then also... You smartly are like, well, also it started as a shop where I sell stuff that people, you know, that sells a bunch of Daleks. Who doesn't want to buy a Dalek? And then also, hey, by the way, here's Phil Silvers. Why don't you check out Phil Silvers? It's a nice way to get people interested in something that might be obscure to them or completely unknown to them. It's a, it's a smart way to do it. And it's uh, it's it's generous to the legacy of somebody who I obviously adore. So I, it, it's, it's a good thing you're doing. And I know you already know that, but I wanted to make sure I expressed that. And also... I need to thank my wife for talking me out of uh, <laughs> of buying the cell myself and uh, then doing uh, it sneakily. Yes. That, was you know? a, that was a big, big kek secret, wasn't it? We, yeah, it was uh, good. That yes, was very yeah. smooth. That was yeah. very smooth. She knew. Yeah. She knew. She knew Worried how much I wanted. That it wasn't going to get damaged in the in transit as well. It was like oh my goodness, huge right. sigh of relief when it had arrived in one piece. <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Yes, lovely. Ah, it's so good. I'm I'm now trying to find the right spot on my wall, which is covered with records. Uh, so I've got to take a few down and put that up because it is something that I have 
Ah, I have loved it so, so much. Um, Steve, this has been a delight. You are welcome back anytime, of course. We'll Thank probably you, talk Jason. about Phil Silvers again, but who cares? Who doesn't like to talk about Phil Silvers? Um, and everybody, please check out the museum. Please follow Steve everywhere you can. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!